This is Novel Marketing, the show for novelists who aren't necessarily fond of marketing, but still want to become best-selling authors. This is Novel Marketing, episode 103. In this episode, we're going to talk to you guys about author homepages and common mistakes that authors make on their homepages. Thomas, I think we could talk for hours on websites in general, so we're going to get really specific. We're not going to talk about your about page or contact or your books or anything like that. We're just going to concentrate on this episode on the homepage itself. And the homepage is still important. It's not as important as it used to be. It used to be the homepage was always the first page people would visit uh, when they visited your website. Uh, That's not the case anymore because of Google. People are now often landing on deep internal pages uh, if they're doing specific searches. But it is still important, and it is the first impression that people are going to see when they Google your name. If your homepage is constructed correctly and your website is optimized correctly, Uh, When somebody Googles your name, your homepage should be the very first result. And so you want this to be a very good impression. Okay, so Thomas, tell us why why you and I are such authorities on... (laughs) Why should people listen to us about websites? So this is not my first rodeo. I ran a company, Author Media. Uh, We've built over 100 author websites, and I've consulted with perhaps twice that number of authors uh, in person looking at their websites and giving them feedback, and then I've taught thousands of authors about uh, websites. And I've seen many, many, many awful, awful author homepages in my day. Um, I go to a writer's conference. I do consultations. I sit down with folks. And it's not that they made it awful on purpose. They just have never been taught what not to do. And if you don't if you don't get an instruction, it's very easy to fall into one of these common mistakes. So you as a novel marketing podcast listener are going to get an advantage in that you're going to know what mistakes to avoid so that you can have an amazing homepage on your author website. And some of you have probably heard some of these things before, but it's John Wooden again. Go back to the fundamentals again and again and again. And then you're going to hear some things that are probably be new to you because website design 10 years ago, even five years ago, is quite different than it is today. So let's dive into it, Thomas. What is, what's the number one mistake? Or let's just put them in order and uh, let's just give them 10 reasons. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you say this is a common mistake? The most common mistake is a welcome letter. It's like typically if it starts with dear reader and it's just, it's, it's, I've never read one of these in my entire life. And I look at author websites professionally <laughs> or I've tried, but so it might be great. You haven't read it. It could no, be phenomenal. The, the reality is no one reads these and they make your website look dated and even worse than that, they're an indication that you have no idea what to do with your homepage because that's kind of the default generic thing. And a good homepage, we're not just going to tell you what not to do, a good homepage, you should know what you want the reader to do and make it very obvious what the next step is. And no one wants to read your welcome letter. One of the things Thomas and I talk about often is this idea of shocking broke, of surprising that area of the brain that gets you to the prefrontal cortex and gets people to take action or not take action. For those of you who don't know the concept of Shocking Broker, let me put it this way. We are taught as novelists that opening line of our novel has to capture, it has to hook the reader, it has to uh, inspire them or motivate them or provoke them or make them laugh. In some way, it has to engage them. Well, it's the same thing with a website. That homepage, that welcome, is the opening line of your novel. And so if it's welcome... (laughs) (laughs) That's boring. That doesn't shock. That doesn't entertain. That is not a hook. So think of it that way. Your homepage, and especially the first text you have on that page, that is your opening line. 
That's right. And so you just want to get straight to the content and just cut that welcome letter all together. Uh, the second thing, uh, second common mistake is cramming content above the fold. And I've, I've worked... Aren't you supposed, you're you supposed to be above, above the fold line, Thomas. We learned this in newspaper years ago. What are you saying, man? <laughs> uh, so websites... This, so, this is this is a huge pet peeve of mine because in web design, this is one of the ways that we can tell if somebody is a bozo or not is if they use the phrase above the fold. Um, so oftentimes, like clients will come to us and they have their own marketing person. And sometimes marketing people are up and they're current. And other times marketing people are bozos. And bozos, here's the thing about bozos. Bozos don't know that they're bozos. They don't know that they're not good at what they do. And if you're not sophisticated, you also don't know if they're not good at what they do. And um, so one of our tests is if they talk a lot about the fold, it's an indication that they have no understanding of how websites work because here's the reality. So first let me give some background and then I'll give you the reality. Background is the fold is a newspaper term. You f they would fold the newspapers in half and put them in these little machines and you put in quarters and you the top half of the newspaper, they could you could see it through the glass. Well, there is no fold anymore and, and that's not how websites work. But in the olden days, it was kind of how they worked because to scroll down, you had to click on this little down arrow in uh, Windows 95, and it was a real hassle to scroll down. Now you have a scroll wheel on your mouse. You can scroll down very easily, or you flick your fingers on a trackpad. But the real reason why there is no fold is that people aren't visiting your website on a computer anymore. <laughs> so, the, and this ties in with our next mistake we'll get to in a second. But the reality is, is that that's not the engagement. The people experience your website through a phone or through a tablet. And thinking about something in, in terms of Fold is overly desktop-centric, where you're too focused on the desktop design. And it can be a real mistake because it can lead you down. A, when you start with wrong premises, you end up with wrong conclusions. And if you think that you have to cram things above the Fold, you're going to end up with a very cluttered website. Yeah, you make decisions that uh, in impact. It's the foundation of a house. Boy, there's a way to do a foundation of a house and a way not to. Same thing here. So you have to go with, in with the mentality that that above the fold line is not necessary. That's right. Uh, so the the next mistake, and this ties in, a lot of these are connected. Uh, mistake number three is desktop first design. So when you get your website designed, you are building your website on a computer. People don't really build websites on mobile first, on mobile devices. So the temptation is to uh, make sure that it looks good on the computer first and then design it for the mobile second. And in general, if you're an author, most people are gonna be coming to your website either through Google search, mm -hmm. which is probably 40% mobile, or they're coming to your website through social media, which is probably 80% mobile. So the reality is at least 50, depending on what kind of author you are, at least 50% of your traffic is gonna be on mobile, probably closer to 55 or 60% of your traffic <clears throat> is on a mobile device. Which means that it's more important that the mobile version of your website work than it is for the desktop version of your website to work. And so when you build your website for mobile first, then you're adding things that are non-essential for the desktop version rather than removing things that are essential if you do it backwards. Uh, so this is a really common mistake. So you can see it is a very common mistake because we are used to doing it that way. And this informs when you are interviewing somebody, somebody to do your website, that means it's very easy to go to their website and go, oh, I want to see all your designs. And you see their designs 
on their website when in reality you should be going and seeing their designs on a mobile device because that's going to tell you really if they have the capability to to do the type of site that you need. And to I know do. authors who freak out about making sure that it works perfect on a desktop, and then they spend hardly any time at all on the mobile experience. And it really doesn't matter if it looks good on a desktop, because <laughs> the reality is it'll always look better on a computer than it will on a phone. Uh, you want to focus on that mobile design, mobile responsive. And another, I didn't even put this mistake on here because I'm assuming that none of y'all are doing this, but some people don't have mobile versions at all, which is like the advanced version of this one. So the mobile version of your site is just the desktop version and they have to pinch and zoom, and it's a really terrible uh, experience. You do not want that at all. So most websites, if you've built it in the last five or six years, it will be what's called mobile responsive. So at least it will respond to a mobile experience. But as you're building that site, you want to spend a lot of time with that mobile interface. Point number four, and this is the hardest thing for people to understand, but don't feel bad. Multi-million dollar companies do the same thing. The, the, the fourth mistake is focusing on you. It's so, well, it's my website. I, they want to know all about me. I, I need to talk about myself and who I am and this kind of thing. Remember, they don't care about you at all. All they care about is what you can do for them. So nobody's interested in reading about your bio on the homepage. That's what the about page is for. And even there, and in later episodes, we'll talk about the about page. But even there, you're not talking about all this stuff that is boring to them. But especially on the homepage, they're not going there for your bio. They're going there to understand why they should go deeper into your site. Specifically, let's talk about photos. So am I saying, oh, don't even have your photo on the page? No, that is one thing you do want on your homepage. Why? Because people are relational at our core. And so we want to see the person that we are dealing with. Secondly, we want to make sure, oh, this is Thomas's website. Yeah, okay. Because I recognize him. Yep, I'm, I'm, a, I'm at the right spot. That's right. So uh, even with your photo, you need to have it. How does my photo serve the visitor? And helping them realize that they're at the right website is a way of serving the visitor. It's not about you. This could be called the It's Not About You podcast, because believe it or not, that is the secret to novel marketing, <laughs> is focusing on your reader rather than focusing on yourself. So mistake number five that authors make with their uh, homepages is no clear next step. This may be the most common mistake that I see on author websites because most authors want their website to be beautiful. That's their primary goal because they, they see getting the website like buying an outfit and they want to make themselves look as good as possible. When in reality, a website is not at all like buying an outfit. It's like you know building a road and the whole point is to get somebody from one place to another place. Now it is nice if the road looks pretty, right? If it's a dirt road, people are going to be hesitant to drive on it. But ultimately, if people don't get to where you're wanting them to go, the road has failed. And 90% of the time, the next top, next step should either be join your my email list or buy my book. So uh, for nine out of 10 authors, we'll just tell you, it, it needs to be very obvious to buy your book or very obvious to buy your email list. If you go to Jim's website, there's a big cover of his most recent book. And if you click on that, it will take you to a My Book Table page where you can buy the book because that's the most obvious next step. And so even if nothing else is done correctly on the website, if you just do this one thing where the homepage has a clear next step for the reader, it's going to be a more successful homepage than a beautiful website where you know great photos and fonts are amazing and the colors are just so, but there's no next step. No one will take the next step and it won't actually get people from point A to point B. 
And the other thing you want is sign up for my newsletter. Not on one of the pages, all of the pages, all of them, again and again and again. It's it's green eggs and ham. It's ham I am. Would you like to sign up for my newsletter with a fox? Would you like to sign up for my newsletter in a box? You are continually asking them to engage with you, to connect with you. And we've talked about this on podcasts before, but the most powerful way to sell a book to people is not Facebook. It's not a blog post. It's not a tweet. It is your email list. That's why it's so critical to have that very accessible when people get to your site. So they don't have to search. They don't have to work at it. All they have to do is, oh, it's there and it's there all the time. Frequency sells. So we are going to be frequent with our ask for people to sign up for our newsletter list. And real quick bonus tip on here. Give away short story and when people sign up for your newsletter. And the main benefit of the newsletter is know when my next book comes out. Because if I'm a fan of you, I want to know when your next book comes out. And I don't want to trust that Amazon or Audible is going to send me an email. Because, oh my gosh, Audible is the worst. Like, I read so many books through Audible. There are authors that I am passionate for that will have new books come out, and I am never told. The Audible never sends me an email. I've read books one, two, three, and four in the series. Book five comes out. I am a slam dunk customer. All they have to do is email me and say, hey, we saw that you read books one through four of this series. Would you like to read book five? And I'd be like, shut up and take my money. Do they send me the email? No, they don't. Well, yes, <laughs> so this is why sometimes I'll go to the author's website specifically to sign up for the newsletter because I can't trust that the store will let me know about the next book. You want to be, if I'm a fan of your writing, you want to make it very obvious for me to know when your next book comes out. This might be helpful if you write down the phrase, the purpose of my website is to, and then leave a blank, and then think about that and fill that in. And and that'll give you clarity as you're either reworking your website or doing it for the first time, et cetera, et cetera. But write that down. The purpose of my website is to blank, and then fill that in. That's right. Or another way to think of this is what do I want people to do on my website? What's the number one thing yeah. I want them to do? And in yeah. your answer, you're not allowed to use the phrase browse because <laughs> I'll tell you, no one wants to browse. That's not a thing people want to do. Unless you have dozens of books and they're browsing your library, no one wants to browse your website. That's right. No retail store wants you to window shop. They want you to come <laughs> in and buy. We have to have the same attitude. That's right. Okay, Thomas, let's talk about let's talk about sliders and we're not talking about food here or that old uh, campy sci-fi show from a million years ago that I actually loved. We're we're talking about something different. Talk to us about sliders. Yeah, the sixth mistake is sliders. Uh, this is a, another kind of one of those jokes in the professional web design world. The purpose of a slider is to let the boss put his pet project above the fold without having to worry about anyone ever seeing this, that project. <laughs> so if you we, we call these the hippos, the highest paid person's opinion. Often the most powerful person in the room insists on their pet project or their initiative being above the fold. But you don't actually, if there's not buy-in from the team, everyone's like, oh, this thing is stupid. That's what a slider is for because no one ever sees the slider. If you ever have to hide a dead body, the place to hide it is on the slide number two <laughs> on somebody's homepage. And there's, there's several fundamental problems with the slider. First, it assumes that there's a fold. There is no fold. People are on a mobile device. Second, it assumes that people read at the same speed, which is totally false. When my wife and I are reading something at the same time, she finishes twice as fast as I do. So I'm halfway through the thing. If we're reading something funny, she's at the punchline and she's laughing while I'm still in the middle of the setup because <laughs> I'm just a slow reader. And some people are 
um, you know, non non native English speakers, and they read particularly slow. Some people have like ADD or ADHD, which makes them hard uh, hard for them to read motion text in motion. It's almost impossible for them to read. There's no usability reason why you want to have a slider. And oh, by the way, sliders break the mobile experience. So when I'm holding your your website in one hand on my phone and I'm flicking my thumb up and down, when I hit that slider, suddenly I can also slide side to side, and I can't easily keep going down and it's a very irritating experience and now me as the visitor to your website because you have a slider not only did i not see the thing on slide two but now i'm irritated with you and i will say irritated people buy fewer books so don't put (laughs) sliders on your website the better approach is to have a longer homepage. the content you would have put in those slides if they're really important you just let them have their whole kind of row on your website so that as I'm flicking down with my thumb, I can go from content piece to content piece in a vertical way. Okay. Rant over. <laughs> you can talk <laughs> we can very move passionate on. about sliders. They are, oh. But sliders are so cool to, to, to look at for the people whose site it is. No one else looks at it, but the people who, you know. Yeah, that boss loves it. to just sit there waiting for the yeah, slide to go. slide over. Find a little that's right. Like, exactly. Okay, next let's talk about paragraph text. That's point number seven. Paragraph text, or text in general. Home pages are built for headlines and images. You've heard us say this before. You have seven seconds when somebody comes to your website, and some studies show it's even shorter. And in those seven seconds, you have to do three things. They have to know who you are. You, um, they need to know what you do. So it's Thomas Umstead Jr., what he does. Oh, he's an author. He's a media guy. And then they have to figure out why I should go deeper into your site. Why should I stay here and just not bounce off? Those three things, who you are, what you do, and why should people go deeper into your site? You cannot do that with a bunch of text. You do that with headlines and images. And we've talked about the movie Gross Anatomy Anatomy before that came out a long time ago in the 80s. And it's a romantic comedy. And one of the guys plays basketball all the time. They're studying for their medical boards one of the characters the guy plays basketball all the time doesn't study the gal she studies all the time finally she confronts him and goes how do you pass the test you i never see you studying and i study all the time how do you do it he says oh you know our textbooks yeah i only read the stuff in bold (laughs) that's how you have to think about your website your your readers your the people who visit your website the only stuff they're going to be reading is the stuff in bold so head, headlines and photos and buttons is what good homepages are made of. The exception here is if your homepage is a blog. Uh, so there's different approaches. That's to true. Websites. A lot of people do right. that. If your yep. homepage is a blog, we will let you have one paragraph per blog post. <laughs> so you have the title of the blog post and a paragraph, maybe a photo, enough of the blog to give them a feeling of do they want to keep going? Do you want to keep Uh, Do you want to read this blog post? We'll let you do that. But other than that, bullets, headings, buttons, photos, very, very light on text. The paragraphs of your website don't belong on your homepage. All right, Thomas, what's next? Clickable book covers. Uh, So another mistake, mistake number eight, is that they don't have a clickable book cover on their homepage. So if you are published, you should have your most recent book on your homepage somewhere. I'm not going to tell you where to put it. There's different ways of doing it right. But it needs to be on your homepage somewhere, and I need to be able to click on it to go to a page where I can buy your book. This is a very common mistake. The two ways I see this is sometimes the book cover is left off altogether, 
And the other way is the book cover is there, but you can't click on it. In fact, I was on a best-selling author's website uh, just the other day. On the homepage, this author had a book cover. I clicked on it. Didn't take me anywhere. Every time this happens, I want you to imagine some little old lady who wants to buy your book for her grandson, and she's clicking on the book cover trying to buy it, and she's like, this website's broken <laughs> because it's that's how book covers work everywhere else on the Internet. If I click on the book cover, I either go to a preview of the book, which is what you see on Amazon, or you go to a page to buy the book, which is also what you see on Amazon, depending on which page on Amazon you click on. All right, next, number nine is no sign-up form. And we touched on this earlier. We're touching on it again and giving it its own uh, number because it is so important. Email, like we said, is the most effective way to sell books. And some people say it's one of the most effective ways. We'd say it it is the most effective way. So you you always have to be concentrating on on growing your list. One of the ways to do this, just a quick sidelight, is scavenger hunts. I've been involved in a number of scavenger hunts where you you get 30 authors to come together and each of them is going to give away two or three books, which is nothing. And then everybody pitches in 10 or 15 bucks bucks for a prize. Again, which is nothing, but with that many people, you can give away a pretty substantial prize. And then there's a scavenger hunt where these people have to go to all 30 sites and pick up clues and they're getting exposed to you. They're getting exposed to you when they never would have before. That's been a wonderful way for me to develop my email list. And you get comments all the time. Oh my gosh, I didn't know you existed. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. And the way you get them to sign up is you say, I'm going to give an additional book away. All you have to do is sign up for my email list. And some people are discouraged by it because you have these people, they're just signing up. Yeah, all they're signing up for is to get a free book. And then they cancel right away. Well, that's okay. That's that's part of the game. Um, I get a lot more people staying than clicking out. And you want to make that uh, sign-up form very obvious on your website. So, again, the temptation is to make it beautiful, but sometimes you want things to stick out. And the sign-up form is one of those things you want to stick out. It needs to not necessarily clash, but needs to have high contrast uh, with the rest of your website. Although I will say, if it does clash, that may be very effective. I know authors have the world's ugliest sign-up form, but they offer something that readers want, and so they and the fact that it's ugly draws the eye, and then they sign up like crazy, which, again, this is a road, not a dress. <laughs> the goal is to get people <laughs> to the destination, uh, and the, so that's something to keep in mind. But with that in mind, mistake number 10, our final mistake, is ugly design. So having an ugly website is a common mistake. And the problem is, is that no one knows their website is ugly. Uh, every, because you did it yourself, it's your baby. It's beautiful. And the reality is design is something people study in college. So in the last company I worked with, our designers had four-year degrees in design. And when they got started, they had a lot that they still needed to learn. It takes a long time to master the craft of design. And you understand what this is like. You're an author, right? Everyone thinks that they can write, but when they first start writing, it's terrible. It takes practice. It takes training. It takes years of work to become good at writing. Well, the same is true for design. And a lot of authors are like, oh, design is easy. I can do it myself. And that's why their websites are very weak because they aren't designers and they don't know that they're not designers. And so some, a bad, some author, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say some author, some author friends of Thomas's and uh, mine are actually have become good designers and they can do websites but they've been working at it for six eight ten years so to to your point thomas if you have a bent toward that a natural bent toward it and you enjoy it great go for it study it but 
but realize that it's going to take you years to do that. And so don't think you're saving a buck by doing it. You are not. Yeah. And even those authors, they're not great designers. They're like passable designers. (laughs) It's like it really like becoming a really good designer is a lot of work and not everyone has the potential. It's kind of like being a basketball player. Not everyone has that eye for it, uh, but everyone uh, thinks they do. So here's the deal with design though. A beautiful website isn't going to make your website. It's not going to make it successful. No one wants to visit a website because it's beautiful. No one ever is like, oh my gosh, you got to visit this website. It's so pretty. But a bad web design can break your website. It can reduce your credibility. So somebody goes to your website, and again, it's a road, and instead of looking like an interstate highway, it looks like some dirt path. They're like, hmm, I don't know if I want to drive down that road. Somebody may jump me. (laughs) This doesn't look safe. (laughs) And so that's the purpose of good design is to make someone feel safe on your website. So I can hear you being like, well, I don't have $10,000 to hire a professional designer. What do I do? So there's a couple of things you can try. One is just hire a professional, save up money, hire a professional. But the other way to do this is to pick a theme, a professional theme, and you can get professional WordPress themes for $100. Um, you know, between $50 and $200, there's a whole world of professional themes. And then stay very close to that theme. Don't tweak it at all do exactly what the theme does. And this is a way of cheating to have a good design. It's kind of like going to Ikea. You know, they have the like the sample rooms when you first walk into Ikea. You can buy that sample room. And when you buy the sample room, you're not just buying all of the furniture in the room. You're also buying the professional interior decorator that picked the all of the Ikea products that went into that particular room. And once you start making tweaks to the room, that's when suddenly it gets worse, not better, <laughs> uh, because you are not a professional interior designer. And so the easiest way to have a professional design is to just like follow the theme religiously. Pick a theme that's good uh, and then follow it very, very closely. And that's a great tip. When we say these themes are 50 to 100 bucks, they that's cheap. And some of these themes are most of them are really well designed. So if if you don't have a lot of money, that is a really strong option. And now some of you are still thinking, oh, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm a good designer. So here's I just like, how can I have a test to see if somebody is a good designer or not? Or like if they've started to kind of learn the fundamentals. And one question you can ask yourself is, do you know the difference between hexadecimal, RGB and CMYK? Uh, if, if those things, if you're very f- fluent with the differences on that, it's probably an indication you've started your design education. If you're like, what the heck is hexadecimal? Just hire a professional or go with a theme. <laughs> so uh, another pro tip is another way to have your website look very professional is to stick with a black and white color scheme for the design of the site itself and let the color in your site come from the photos and from the buttons. Uh, it's, you can't go wrong with a white background, black text on a white background. That's what 99% of websites use, and there's a reason for it. It works. It looks professional. People trust it. Most of the time when people get away from white text on a black background, it hurts them, not helps them. Unless you're paying somebody you know, in a swanky downtown studio who's really expensive, breaking those rules is very difficult. And it's much better to just follow the design fundamentals. And for web design, that's black text, white background. So don't go too crazy with the colors and the schemes. All right, a few more keys to a good homepage, and then we'll wrap up. Number one, put yourself in your reader's shoes as much as possible. And that's hard to do because this is your baby. But put yourself in your reader's shoe. Come from their perspective. And if you can get it, like in the same way you want to get a critique partner that will be brutally honest with you, 
Get friends who can be brutally honest with you about your website, what's working and not working. Approach it from that perspective. Number two, answer these questions. Where am I and where do I go from here? Thomas, you want to expand on those a little bit? Yeah, so those are the questions that uh, the visitor to your website is asking and you need to, so Jim was talking about seven seconds. These are two questions you must answer in those first seven seconds. Where am I? It's James L. Rubart's website. Where do I go from here? Buy the book, sign up for the newsletter. So there may be other places that you can go. And if you go to Jim's website, he's got an about page and all the other normal boring stuff. But the reality is most people are going to either want that book or they're going to want that newsletter. And you want to have very obvious answers to those questions. Or for our podcast website, the two things people are wanting most um, commonly when they come to novelmarketing.com is they either want to listen to the most recent show or they want to subscribe. The third thing people want is the show notes. So this is episode 103. Our show notes are at novelmarketing.com forward slash 103 if you want to see the notes from this particular episode. It's just forward slash on the number of the episode. Those are the three things. There are other things on our website, but those are the three primary things in, in that order. And this actually leads into an apology I'd like to give all of you. Um, we're in the process of redoing our website. We, When we first got our website, when we first started this podcast, we just picked the generic WordPress theme and did nothing with it. It, it kind of as an experiment of like, do you need a fancy website? And we had like the world's least fancy website. And we've built everything that we have on the world's least fancy website that we spent six, I spent six hours throwing it together. We're in the process of upgrading the website. It's the new version's not up yet, but we'll let you know when it's up. But one of the steps was moving to a better, more expensive web host. Uh, one of the web hosts we talked about in our web hosting episode. And when we moved to the new web host, it caused our our website went down for 30 minutes or so during the transition uh, due to a mistake that I made. Um, so it's, it's on me. It's not on Jim. But anyway, when the website came back up, some people's RSS feeds reset and saw all of the episodes in our feed as new episodes. And so if you're one of the folks who have downloaded all 100 episodes of Novel Marketing over the weekend, I would just like to say, I am sorry. <laughs> That's on me. Uh, hopefully this won't ever happen again. RSS feeds can be finicky. And uh, so I hope you I hope you found some older episodes that you enjoyed. And I'm sorry for the hassle of it. Please don't unsubscribe uh, because you're unhappy with us, although you probably already have the folks who are unhappy. So again, I'm sorry for the, the RSS feed reset. We were looking at our stats and we're like, oh my gosh, we have so many downloads. Wow, look at all these downloads. <laughs> and then some folks emailed us. I don't think it happened to everyone. I'm not sure. But anyway, if it happened to you, I am sorry. Uh, and this episode of uh, the Novel Marketing Podcast brought to you by My Book Table. If you're wanting an easy way to incorporate some of the, uh, or avoid some of these mistakes on your website, My Book Table will help you have a more effective website. It's a bookstore that allows you to sell books to your readers through sites like Amazon rather than you having to ship them yourself. But if you want to ship them yourself, you can do that as well. It's a very powerful, flexible bookstore that you can install on WordPress, uh, on your WordPress website for free. So you can check it out at mybooktable.com. What? What? What's the price, Thomas? <laughs> so the main version is free. If you want the paid version, wow, free, you can yeah. get 10% off with coupon code Novel Marketing, all one word. So use Novel Marketing at checkout to get the professional version that's got some extra bells and whistles. And the website will explain. My Yeah, mybooktable.com. Mybooktable.com. Get the free version. Check that out. Or if you really want to go crazy, 10% off on the pro version. All right. Um, and we have a featured iTunes review. Jim? Uh, listener Emma says, I love this podcast. I can listen to episode 
after episode and not get bored. Yes! I'm learning a ton and really enjoying it. Great chemistry and give and take between the two of you. Thank you, Thomas and James. No, thank you, M. We appreciate that very yeah, much. Yeah, we appreciate you quite a bit. If you leave us a review with your name in it, we'll feature your name in the review. Listener M, we just had an initial. You've been listening to James L. Rubart and Thomas Umstadt Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast. You've been listening to the Novel Marketing Podcast with Thomas Umstead Jr. and James L. Rubart, giving you novel marketing ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing, online, offline, and everywhere in between. Thanks for listening.